Hi, everyone. Today, me and Ren are going to be talking about their graphic novel, The House in Capel Hill. Last time, on episode 133, we talked about the first book of the series, The Book of Ket. The Ket is one of the parts of the soul in Egyptian mythology, namely the body. Accordingly, it's the beginning of the protagonist Josephine's story. Today, we'll be looking at the second book of the series, The Book of Ka. Ka is the spark of life that distinguishes life from death. This book explores more of Josephine's story, especially after a dramatic events in the first book. So our first question is, as previously discussed, each book in your graphic novel series, The House on Capel Hill, takes place in a different setting. What is the setting of the Book of Ka? Um, <clears throat> so the Book of Ka is set in a world where things like magic really do exist, but they have taken their place in man's life alongside uh, things like steam technology and early electricity and things of that nature. Um, so it's kind of a place that's a little steampunk, a little fantasy, but in a way that um, I'm hoping will feel very balanced. Um, the story in particular takes place um, in a sort of an alternate version of Britain. So where we, we think of Britain and its culture, imagine it, but with much more Germanic influence, like complete Germanic influence. So it's a place where um, characters and culture and mythology from a very uh, Germanic perspective and, and that kind of culture have bled onto this island kingdom that, you know, within the history of this particular universe was conquered considerably earlier um, or kept much longer, <laughs> depending as the case may be. Mm -hmm. And how does this setting compare to the setting of the Book of Ket? In the Book of Ket, we saw kind of a fantasized Britain, but it's it feels very familiar as British. Um, but it's a it's a culture where things that you know might be considered witchcraft are just kind of a folksy tradition in their in their perspective. So those things have social and cultural significance, but they don't have any um, tangible effect or power. Right. But then in the book of Ka, there is a tangible effect. Exactly. Um, so part of the symbolism that I was trying to use for that is that, you know, the body has substance, but without the Ka, without a life spark, it can't make any difference in the world, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I wanted to, I, I'm trying to kind of evolve those ideas as we go along, which <clears throat> presents its own challenges as there are nine steps, but <laughs> that's, that's my problem. <laughs> right, and there are actual, um, you know, mythological figures that appear in this book. So in the second question, we'll be talking about one of these figures. Who is the Earl King? What mythological figure from real life was he inspired by? So uh, the Earl King is taken from a German folkloric um, sort of Lord of the Forest character, but he was very sinister and he was called Der Earl König, which is so many vowels in one place. But um, 
it's he which translates very literally to the earl king earl being um a specific type of tree in german um and the interesting thing is that there's not necessarily a lot written down about him but he is such an enigmatic and um easily recognizable archetype that he's been there long enough that even in the few references back to him that we have he's clearly very well established established almost in a robin hood kind of way like you know it's we don't really know when that started the references back to it already feel like it's an old legend even then so there's a sense of being familiar with him but also at the same time um not having a lot to know not getting a lot to know about him um but he's sort of this shadowy lord of the forest um a lot of what i interpreted out of this um was inspired by um a german art song i believe by schumann um it's a really brilliant song that narrates a story about the earl king pursuing a uh, traveler through the forest, which was kind of what he and his daughters did, was they were sort of like sirens in the sense that they would lure people off of their path, uh, usually to destruction in one way or another. And they mm -hmm. they definitely, at least from what I've been able to glean, like that, that is it's a sport. It's it's something they derive pleasure from. And I just kind of tried to take that and turn it up and turn it to a psychological um sort of torment rather than uh just physical destruction because that's and honestly i think that's kind of the implication of the earl king is that he represents the wild the unknown you know insanity madness chaos um and leaving the path of order and faith and so on would ultimately lead to your destruction whether that be um psychological or spiritual or physical mm -hmm. I think I know what you're talking about. I, I think various composers have made songs about the Earl King, but I do recall listening to um, an art song, a lied um, by I think Schubert. And he, he actually, I actually studied it in school. And I remember there was a painting of a very dark forest. And then you see the Earl King, who is this figure in white, and he's chasing after someone on a horse. And I think he was trying to abduct- his son. Yeah, his son. He was, yeah. you know, abduct, abducting children. Yes. Um, and that song is, is so terrifying in a sense. You know, you have the underbeat of the piano that feels like hoofbeats throughout the most part, but every time the Earl King is the one singing, that stops and you're out of reality for a minute and um that is definitely an idea that i wanted to play with here because the earl king and his family um you know they take josephine out of reality for a period of time but what happens in that unreality still sticks with her mm -hmm. and is this setting an alternate timeline from the first one so does that make it like a, a surreality of another surreality yes yes it does um because this timeline that josephine has landed in is a different one than the one she came from uh she spends a great portion of the book building a time machine to try and get back to the day of her wedding the day everything went wrong um and she gets to the right date and time but she finds that the situation is not 
what she left behind <clears throat> because she's been in a future that wasn't even her own. It's a different universe. And there was no way she was going to be able to just go back in time to save Claude. And how did this happen? Is it because of the way Josephine constructed the time machine? Or is this is this the nature of time travel in the universe? <clears throat> so actually, the cause of this is the matron's curse. She says, curse you twice. Um, and later it will be implied that um, the Monterons have been chasing the Capels through alternate universes by a means that is <clears throat> both unorthodox and uh, morally questionable. Um, so the Capels and the Monterons both understand that there are alternate timelines, alternate universes. They're not exactly sure what they are. They just know that they're there and that they can travel through them um, by specific means. <clears throat> so when Josephine is cursed, she's first sent ahead in time and then sent to an alternate universe. Right. And I guess even with the time machine, she cannot escape this curse. Yeah. Well, she has to figure out a means to jump between alternate universes, um, which she doesn't even understand what that, what that is or what that means at this point in the story. All she knows is that going back in time didn't work because this isn't her world. That's, that's the most she can grasp. Mm -hmm. And because this is not her world, there are a bunch of other characters that she would not have ordinarily met, such as Laurel. So who is Laurel? What is her relationship to the story and to Josephine? So <clears throat> Laurel is quintessentially Josephine's parallel in this world. Where Josephine was born in her own timeline, <clears throat> in this timeline, Laurel was born instead. So Laurel is kind of the epitome of everything Josephine wished she was or everything she was expected to be, very um, <clears throat> poised, very feminine, very um, sociable and quote-unquote normal, even though even Laurel has uh, agrees with all of Josephine's ideas. She simply, just by the, the force of her personality, Mm -hmm. can't be silenced in the way that Josephine has. And that also is attributed to the fact that she's been born at a later time. Um, because when Josephine arrives in Laurel's world, it's the 19 teens. Whereas where Josephine left her own world, it was the 1860s. So <clears throat> even though by all accounts, there wasn't a lot of progress in the way of women's rights and stuff, it was starting to happen. And it was becoming more socially acceptable, particularly with the fashions of the of the Gibson girl, who was sort of a pre-flapper. She was um, this archetype of a woman who was outspoken and individual and didn't need a man to um, to have an identity, which was frightening for people at that, you know, in that culture at that time, mm -hmm. but still entrancing. Right, that makes sense. And does she have a friendship with Laurel or do they have any like disagreements? Um, I would say she definitely has a friendship with with uh, Josephine. Um, I think that 
I think that Laurel almost pities her a little. Like, look at you in your granny clothes and, oh, honey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How does Josephine feel about that? I mean, of course, she's a little mad about it. But she's also learning that she's now, even though she's not where she wants to be, she is in a time where she gets to express herself in a way that feels more comfortable for her in her own time, which was actually Victorian. She would never have been um, allowed to, to say or express a lot of these things. So as much as it's frustrating to be sort of, uh, I mean, what would you call that? It's, it's pitied. <laughs> <laughs> As much as that is frustrating, Laurel is at least helping Josephine understand that you you can do better. It's okay. We can get there together. <laughs> <laughs> right. And how does this connect to the Earl King? How does Josephine meet the Earl King's family? And how does that tie in with Laurel? Hmm. So um, at the end of the Book of Ka, Josephine has met a seemingly average <clears throat> young man named Peter Earlwood, which is already kind of a hint. So he turns out to be uh, a member of the Earl King's family in disguise um, because he sees Josephine appear, you know, from wherever she's been coming from and is obsessed. So, um, quintessentially the uh the earl king and his family sort of slowly lure her in she's in a world she doesn't understand that they've promised to help her navigate basically um and they prey on the ignorance they prey on her um on her ignorance and lack of you know understanding anything that's going on and um so but along that way as part of earning josephine's trust uh, initially um peter earlwood helps her track down um what happened to the capel family in this universe since they're not there anymore and they managed to find uh claude's little brother who um explains how he escaped that night vaguely, but he's been put in a, a a mental health facility, for lack of a better word for what they had to that back, back then. Um, so no one believes him except for Josephine, and Peter is kind of just playing along so that she'll trust him. So she tries to find her own family, and she can't find any record of them. She can't find anything about them. So, you know, there, there are a few wild grasps where she's like, well, stuff looks familiar, but a little different. So, you know, she was able to locate the Capel's residence, Capel Hill. That went successfully. So she, there are a couple of other times where she's like, well, maybe if I go there, it'll be like just different enough. Um, but when she gets to where her own house would have been, there instead is this wildly different house with a, you know, a different family, a similar family, but a very different family living there. And their youngest daughter is Laurel. 
Mm, let's see. And Peter starts sinking in his claws into Josephine at that point, right? Yeah. So um, Peter has he he's kind of like they're not there. Just just give up on it, and and kind of drags her away from that search because he's tired of um, playing along. She gets dragged into their the the um, unreality that that the Earlwoods put her in, and once she gets out of that, she decides to go on that search again, and that's when she connects with Laurel and really meets her, and they become friends at that point. Mm, I see that makes sense. So I don't think Laurel actually has much interaction with Peter then. No, and that is very purposeful because Laurel would have been Peter's intended target mm. if Josephine had never shown up. Um, <clears throat> so I needed to keep away for him to, he, you know, he's just kind of bored of the chase at that point. He has no idea that the two are connected in any way. He's just like, I'm uh, all right. We, we found out about the capels. Let's, let's move on to, uh, to our life. Um, <laughs> And after she's done with that, she, you know, Josephine decides that she needs to, there's still something missing that she needs to know. And that's when she really reconnects with Laurel. Right. So what are the themes of the Book of Ka? What does Laurel symbolize without spoilers? And how do the themes of this book compare to the Book of Ket? Mm. So where the Book of Ket... I think was definitely about um, wondering what makes you who you are. Uh, the book of Ka is more about um, it's it's starting to answer that question. Um, a big theme of the book is going to be the idea that um, being physically bodily okay does not always necessitate. A, per, a whole person being okay. Um, I feel like the Book of Ka is about, um, it's about reconnecting with our own spark of life and understanding that it is uh, unique to each individual. <laughs> so, uh, it's about digging through the problems that you might have at present to find the real kernel of um, who you are without anybody else. Mm -hmm. And um, within Egyptian mythology, the Ka was a, was a part of the spirit, the life spark. Um, and the Ka, like the Ket, required sustenance, and Egyptians would leave uh, food offerings for the Ka. So there's there's definitely going to be a big theme of nourishing yourself to keep right. your spark alive. Right. And I think Laurel and Josephine's friendship is part of that nourishment, right? Absolutely, yes. Right. And there was someone who was keeping the spark of life away from Josephine, and that would be Peter, right? Yes. Um, the The Earl King, as I've portrayed him seeks out that spark in particular that is what he's preying on and what makes it enjoyable is dragging it out which is horrifying but given the kind of entity that the earl king is d 
doesn't really feel like a shocker. Um, so <clears throat> part of what tells them that there is a spark there is individuality. And Josephine has that in spades. And she also appeared where she was when Peter found her via means of magic. So he, he believed that that was what she was and what she had. And um, ultimately they do like make a long, uh, prolonged and um, intense attempt to eradicate Josephine's spark of life. But fortunately they fail. Mm-hmm. What does the Earl King seek to do with the spark of life? What does it give him? The only joy he ever sees. It's like a, how would I say? It's kind of, um, there's a sense that he not only feeds on that, like that's what's keeping him alive, um, but also that it's fun. It's fun for him to do this to someone. It's fun for him to watch that go out slowly and see how long he can make it last. And right. <clears throat> at this point of the story, yes, there are fae, yes, there are monsters, but he hasn't been able to get his hands on, like, the most... Uh, it's kind of like if if you have been eating, I guess for lack of a better comparison, like if you've been eating soy for a really long time, like tofu or whatever, but you, you, you see like a, like a steak come along, you know what I mean? Like, yes, he can get nourishment from other types of life spark, but the kind in particular that really keeps him alive, he wasn't able to find because it just was, it was too scarce. Mm-hmm. But that's what they believed Josephine was. And that's why that's part of why they all latched on to her. Oh, I see. And what would have happened if they got their hands on Laurel instead? Would that set in chain, you know, a, a bunch of events that would have co- created a lot of bad things? It would in the sense that Laurel as a part of Josephine would no longer exist. Um, so it wouldn't matter how long Laurel, or it wouldn't matter how long Josephine was searching for her other pieces, she would always be incomplete. Mm, right. And that would have had its own mm-hmm. uh, consequences. That's true. So Josephine wouldn't be able to finish the journey. Exactly. Exactly. And mm-hmm. there, there is a bigger consequence that's a part of that. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but... Um, you know, it's very much the concept of butterfly wings and, and hurricanes. You know, we might think of an event as not very big or we might think of an event as um, lacking in meaning. But small events do still set the dominoes off. You know, they start that chain reaction. So an alternate action would have led to an alternate reality for them. That makes sense, especially since there are so many different universes and timelines in the series. Yeah. Right. So what is after the Book of Ka? 
after the book of Ka will come the book of Eb, um, which within the scope of Egyptian mythology, um, Egyptian mythology and what the Eb meant, um, it was not only the physical heart, but also um, the seat of your will, the seat of your um, your thoughts and your emotions, much in the cultural way that we use the word heart today. Mm-hmm, I see. And no spoilers about the book, but what setting will it take place in? A setting very familiar to all of us, just modern day, no magic, the world we live in. Oh, that's actually so surprising. I, I didn't know that you know, this would be one of the settings <laughs> in your series. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, I thought it would be kind of, um, I don't know. I, I guess that it would it would feel very honest and, you know, we'd have to see me transition from quasi-fantasy writing to something very contemporary, uh, but no less poetic. Mm hmm. I can't wait to see which part of Josephine appears in this story and how Josephine will react to a reality that's very different. It'll be very different indeed. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait to script out what she thinks for the first time she sees like a regular car or a computer. Yeah, yeah, or a computer. <laughs> Yes. So we'll be talking about that soon. Or do you want to talk about the book of Ba, which you have written the outline for, Ooh. which is further down the line, but you know, we already do have the outline for that. It is further down the line. Um, and I think part of the thing that I've tried to keep nice about these is that they don't have to be spoilery, even though we're looking at a piece way further down the line. Um, Ooh, I think we might have to we might have to chat about that because I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. I still have a lot of work to do on the book of Eve, even for just an outline. But um, yeah, we we'll we'll have to we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, any other topics you wanted to cover about the book of Ka? Um. Uh, funny how when you get asked the question all the ideas just they leave um, <laughs> I think I think we covered it yeah I think we did a pretty good summary of the major themes and you know without making it spoilerish yeah yeah I mm -hmm. agree do you think um the book of Ketz or the book of Ka will be easier to draw oh I think the book of um, Ket will be easier to draw uh, in the sense that I, I'm, I'm pretty good with costuming. I'm working on architecture and such. Um, I'm miserable at drawing cars and things, which there will be like early, you know, extremely early uh, cars featured in the book of Ka, as well as um, you know, I'm I'm having to do a lot of research about different styles of magical practice to see like what what do I want this to look like? What what kind of system do I want to create in this book? Um, so I'm trying to give myself some ideas, and uh, that's not going to come into play in the book of Ket. Uh, mm. It's I feel like that one is 
one of the most straightforward and it was intentionally so. Right. I think the Book of Ka has a lot of beautiful imagery from what I've seen in the outline so far, especially, you know, no spoilers, but near the end, especially. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and I was trying to borrow from a little bit of everything, but um, I think I wanted to make the appearance of characters who felt very obvious, but might not have been um, expected within the context. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think the Earl King was another example of that. Like, again, even though not everybody has necessarily heard the song, um, there, the, if you put, if you, if you present someone with imagery of him, it, there's something clicks, the bell rings. And, um, you know, I wanted to create those moments for readers throughout, throughout the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is this is a great discussion. I can't wait to learn more about your series and the future books. Thank you so much. It's been thank a pleasure. You. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. -bye.